Welcome to Contravariance, a podcast by Benedict der Hechte and Bas Brook about Apple, programming, Swift, and other related topics. Today, we talk about XE Test and some new features there. We talk about dependency graphs, we talk about Swift leads, Swift Averro, Try Swift, and more. Hello, Benedict. Hello, Bas. How are you? I'm good. I'm sitting in my home office. Um, it's not raining today, which is unusual for Hamburg at this time of the year. Uh, but I also haven't left the apartment today. So, I mean, for, for the listener, it's uh, 4.20 p.m. and uh, I'm still in my pajamas. Oh, that sounds nice. That sounds nice. I am just back from a walk uh, with a with a colleague, a uh, former colleague, because uh, I currently do not have a job, <laughs> a former colleague at Apple. Uh, and it was a super nice conversation, actually, that we had. Um, and I am sitting not in an, you know, not at home, but we're currently just like somewhere last year. And I think we actually recorded an episode here last year. Um, at a resort in a, in one of their lodges and one of their holiday homes um, because we had some building work being done and it was supposed to finish at the end of 2020 and then it was supposed to finish in like February 2020 and then there was a lockdown of like six or seven months so <laughs> about a year later here we are and uh, the building work is continuing so that's where I'm sitting where it is raining, where it is supposedly always raining, except for that lucky day that I went golfing and it was sunny. Um, but yeah. That being said though, doing good. And uh, I, I am slowly looking forward to my new job that will start on the 1st of November. Um, so kind of starting to itch to like do some ios again you know it's been a while i've done a lot so, of mac os at apple as well so so you have one month left to chill out and uh less than a month but yeah like three month, weeks right. uh like right. it's the 7th of october today um yeah it's going to be great though so there's this funny thing uh, i i was working at apple um and this is, huh, when was this? I don't know exactly. I think it was, it was a few months ago around WWDC, maybe before, maybe after, I don't know. But I had a talk or I had a chat with uh, Sean. Um, and he is someone that I knew from, you know, before Apple. And I think I knew that he worked at Apple. Uh, and I think we got, oh, so this must have been after, after WWDC actually, because we got talking because we were in one of the labs at Xcode together. And, you know, we had this conversation of like, hey, we actually know each other, but we've never really talked. So we, we had a nice chat. Uh, and he's working on, on XE test, right? So I didn't even file a reader for this, but I was asking, like, you have this option to like test again, which is basically like, hey, this current set of tests that we're running with one keystroke, you can run those again, which somehow I ended up using quite often to like understand like, hey, why is this failing? You know, add a breakpoint or whatever. And I said, 
you know, especially in complex projects, like why is this building things? Like I'm just rerunning the same tests. Like nothing has changed. Like we do not need to rebuild things. And I guess technically that can be fixed somewhere in the build system, I guess. Um, but Henny was like, oh, I find this fascinating. I'm going to take a look at this. And then, you know, like a few days later, he's like, hey, here's a pull request. And like test again without building. It's here. Uh, and that shipped in Xcode 13. So super cool to like have this just conversation and like ending up with a feature that is really cool. So now we can test again without having to wait a long time for something to recompile. That is really cool. Um, I I think that's very beneficial because sometimes the recompiling takes a long time, especially if you have a SwiftUI project. Right. I mean, not even SwiftUI. I don't. I don't. But I. I. I really like. It kind of makes me more interested to like dive into how the like build system works, because as a user, I think it's very straightforward in this case to say like well we shouldn't do anything because we're just rerunning the same thing um but it's are it's you know it's going to be a lot more a lot more complex under the hood um but it just makes me curious like what is going on under the hood what that is like you know making it so we can't figure out not to rebuild in this case i think that Build systems in general are some of the, the most complex um, things you can do in computer science, um, given that if you look that Google has their own, Facebook has their own, um, because there are so many requirements that go into it. And there's a famous um, post or thread, I think it was on Reddit, I'm not sure. And the, the content was, please, please stop writing build systems because <laughs> everybody and their dog basically tend to think, okay, this, this build system doesn't cut my needs. I'm going to write my own one, which only makes it more complex to figure out what you actually have to do. And I, I mean, Apple also has two now, right? There was the classic one and now this one. And um, I know for how, how long the new one was in beta that already gives you a impression of how much time actually was spent into figuring out how to do this because it's a lot of lots of complexity because you have this graph of files that import files and dependencies between things and then you change something there and then you have to figure out if this change uh, what is affected by that and so on and how do you figure that out best um it's really tricky i oh yeah yeah um, oh boy totally no i mean i think you know, you remember this as well. I'm, I'm pretty sure that we had like these cyclic dependencies in Xing app with the new build system. And I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it's us that caused this problem, right? Or that somehow, somewhere, and like, you know, probably unintentional, but like have a file that references another file that references back to the other file, for example. Um, but then one is like, how can we? Like how can the, it's not even a build system, I guess, at that point, but like how can we better understand what's going on? And I guess also in terms of the build system, like how can it better tell us like what it's doing and where, you know, to inspect like its output basically. Um, but as you said, it's super complex. And I remember as well with the Xing app is like trying to entangle like our dependencies, our frameworks, right? It was, I, I, I gave a talk about it, right? It was, it's so difficult. And like every step you take has to be something very small and it's 
very hard to reason about and so, so, so easy to, with one change, not paying attention or not knowing exactly what's going on to just get back to where you were. Right. So I think being able to inspect it, to understand why it did a rebuild now is is valuable. I think the downside is if you know that there's nothing you can do because um, it like imagine you did something, you didn't change any of your files, right? And then you do you run the test again and it starts building. And so even if it tells you the reason why I'm building again is because I think this is the case. Um, it's probably something you need to fix on the build system side and not in your code base because you didn't change anything in your code base anyway. Right. I, yeah, I don't know. I think to get a better understanding, you first have to figure out how to get that better understanding, I guess, right? So it's yeah, a little yeah, bit of a true. meta problem, yeah, but, but it's super true. interesting. Um, When you run a XC test, and in your XC test, you have some functionality that goes, for example, in the user notification center, where you can register user notifications and so on. Then during the test, when you start the test, iOS will display this stupid dialogue Uh, to ask if you allow the allow the app to uh, receive to send notifications, but I'm running a test. It's not like the user is actually using this right now, but now the test fails and it's completely blocked in UI, and there is no way to tell XCTest that all these permission dialogues can be okay during a test, or not okay during a test, because maybe I want to test what happens when the user denies the permission. I can't influence that for a test. I hate it. Because if you run it on CI, there's nothing you can do, right? You can't on CI tap that fucking button. Um, I think you're not completely right here, correct? Um, there, there, you can do this via terminal. Um, and I think that was new maybe in Xcode 12 or Xcode 11. And you can also do this in UI tests. Um, yeah, in UI test, I figured that out. That's true. But if you, but if I, so the user notification center is really for sending notifications. It's more the model layer, right? Because on in the model layer, you, the user, you enter a date, for example, and for this date, you register notifications. There's no UI involved. I mean, I, I, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a little bit afraid that the Xcode test team's answer would be similar to mine, which is you probably only want to test your part of the logic there um, and not you like that UN notification center stuff, which you could, right? So you can say this function should be called on success and then you can say, okay, I call this function. Does it do what I expect it to do? But sure, it's tricky. Yeah, that is kind of also the the, um, the thing I saw online when I, when I searched for that, but um, Oftentimes, like also with your Vuitton controllers and so on, I also want to test the behavior of Apple's code because that constantly breaks and it constantly changes under my, and I want a test to fail if a new iOS version changes something there. Like that's what tests are for, right? If, I, if I'm just testing my code with no relation to the, like if I mock away everything that is iOS, then the tests are fairly useless because as soon as there's a change in iOS, Everything will break, except my test will still be fine. I, I will not even see. So that is a fairly philosophical ivory tower way of looking at things. And of, I, I think that is, in general, the way Apple sees this. 
Um, but given how often there, how many bugs are in this in Apple's code uh, everywhere, I feel like this is not the right thing to do. Um, yeah, I, I I understand, right? And I think I think what you do want to do there is UI tests to some extent, and you know, obviously you're still calling things. I, I mean, hopefully you're not rewriting the standard library, etc. Right? So you're still testing part of it, but sure, you're not testing this you know, extra layer that I think often goes in the direction of UI tests. Like ideally you want to run your unit test headless, which I think, I think it's just so much nicer and so much easier to reason about unit tests. But I do feel like we're kind of like talking past each other and I, I do feel your pain. Yeah, I mean, I, I could have created a UI test for that, but I felt that is the wrong approach because I'm testing my model layer. And I could have mocked it away, but then um, I wouldn't have had the guarantee that my interaction, like the interaction between my code and whatever Apple has, is correct. Because the the mocking is then based on failable documentations on Apple, on Apple's part. I don't know. I haven't written too many tests and too much code for these kind of things in, in the past few weeks. Um, I think ideally you would want to write like the unit test and then like some kind of like integration test, which actually I still don't really know the whole difference between like an integration and a UI test. I think you will just have to use XEUI test at least. And then you just do the connection between those two as a separate test. But I feel that sometimes you don't want to go that far or, you know, go through those loops. In this case, what makes it tricky is that if you create a XCUI test, then there's no way to introspect the model. So the way, the black hole way of XCUI tests that Apple uses basically means you can only assert that which elements are on screen after you tap a certain element. But what I want to do is I want to check out that when I do a certain action that notifications are registered in the user local noti notification center, which is something I can't assess in the UI test as far as I'm concerned. So I, I can't even write this kind of test in XUI test, and I can only do it as a unit test, and there it, I get this stupid message. Uh, you said something about the, the terminal allowing me to, uh, to change that. You mean just giving this permission, basically? I don't know the ex the, the 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 exact details. I think you can reset them. I don't know if you can allow them by default. Hmm. Um, but we'll yeah, I'll have to yeah. have to look that up. Yeah, I for now I, I broke the test and added documentation and therefore the other engineers that if they want to run this test, uh, they have to understand that they have to tap around this in a simulator. And if uh, if the, if the test ever goes uh, goes into um, um, goes on something of a of a CI, then um, obviously this has to be disabled. Yeah, that's tricky. Yeah, it's weird. But I mean, I, from my perspective, these dialogues I should be able to um, give these permissions as part of the test in the test setup. Like, I want to run a test with the permissions enabled and with the permissions disabled to see what happens to my model layer to make sure that for all these circumstances it works correctly, also for camera and so on. No, I, I feel you. Um, I actually wrote a blog post on X, like XE test related blog post that's going online on Monday. So that's the 11th, I think, of October. Um, 
and I, I briefly mentioned this, like, given when then uh, thing, mm. where, you know, you, you say, like, the, this given these preconditions, when I perform this action, then I assert, and this and this and this should happen, right? And I think this would be a great given, that you can somehow tell the system, given that I have, you know, notification access, or given that I do not have notification access. Well, anyway... Um, apart from that, I will um, switch topic a bit here. Um, for the past two months, I um, I'm also I've also not been working right. I uh, I um, left my my last job and I'm now I just now started working as a freelancer for Xing again. Um, but in between, I had two months where I tried to be bored. We talked about that on the last episode. Yeah, I still don't understand that, but you know, <laughs> it, it worked very well. <laughs> Um, and I watched a lot of TV. I watched The Mandalorian, and then from there I went to Clone Wars, and from then I went, from there I went to Rebels and Star Wars. So I I watched a lot of stuff, but I also started with um, I did a little bit of hyperdeck work, but then I realized I needed also to step away for a time from hyperdeck because I'd been like in addition to my last job, I also invested a lot of time into hyperdeck, and I felt like I uh, part of this whole these two months for me was also trying not to feel like work and hyperdeck felt a lot like work right and so i needed to do something else and so i started with some with a small side project and that went into another side project and from there i went to into another side project so basically it's a like a russian doll where the one gave birth to another and they're all not <laughs> finished yet. Yeah, but I'm uh, but I just finished like the the level three side project and that because that is a dependency for the level two side project, which is a dependency for the level one side project. So I'm slowly building my way back down. I was gonna say, are you building a build system? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, not that. But I'm I'm li- I'm a little bit scratching in it with with uh, with these projects and um in for me in order to to make it feel less like work i wrote all these projects in rust because it, it it's not swift it doesn't feel like work for me it's um i i know less about the language which means that um my code is messy and i it's it's fine for me because it's it, like it i don't have the taste for or the acquired taste for uh proper code that i have with with Swift from from years of developing it, so it's uh, I can just mess around and I don't feel bad about it. Um, I can't really I don't want to talk about the projects yet because they are not done. But what I want to talk about is that uh, it's interesting to compare it with with Swift in terms of um, the things I like, the things I don't like. But um, even more interesting for me is how much more I like VS Code now. Like I I did that with VS Code. Obviously, because you can't use Xcode for for Rust. And when I started developing Rust years ago, um, the experience was like the IDE experience was not very good. And by now, I have to say, I feel it's much better than Swift. Like the auto completion is better. Um, the um, everything is faster. And the VS Code has this thing built in where when I save, it will auto format my file. 
And initially I found that a little bit weird and now I, could, I can't live with it anymore. And whenever I touch Xcode now, I'm, I, the first thing my mind complains about is that when I save, not everything is followed, formatted according to the standard community guidelines. So I still have to think about formatting. I hate that. And I, I looked and there's no way to do that to Xcode. And again, I'm confused why that isn't an option at least. You can, you can do a pre-commit hook, but yeah. Um, also, I feel like this is taking me back to the Eclipse days, which I think also had that feature. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I used to not like this, but uh, after having used it for some time, it's uh, what I like the most about it is like I start typing, I, I, I paste some code and I see I've ended up in a little bit of a mess, right? The, um, the parentheses are all over the place because I pasted something somewhere. And instead of trying to figure out what to do and to understand what this code is doing in order to format it properly, I just save and it's done. It's interesting because I think I've gotten used to like, like I do this on autopilot. I just like select my lines and like control I and Xcode to like re-indent. Um, although I've heard that Xcode 13 may have broken some of that indentation. So, um, but yeah, I think looking back though, um, like these have been these like magical moments where uh, one of them is like I bought the first Retina MacBook and at the time like I was like sure it's only only a little more than the than the other uh, option uh, you know why not just treat myself right and I got it and it was great but like I didn't really notice a difference um, but then you go back <laughs> Mm-hmm. And oh boy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how could I ever look at this screen again, right? And yeah. on the then, one hand, then... I, I, I hate it because like, you know, you can't go back. But on the other hand, like, it's just genius to like see that kind of impact. And it's kind of fun. Yeah, I I, t- I fully agree. And that's the experience when I had because I, this week was my first day Xing again. And that's when I opened up Xcode. And that's when I, it really hit me. I mean, at least there are Vim bindings now in Xcode, which for me, it's a huge deal, uh, but they also are not very good compared to the ones in VS Code, which which are much, much more advanced. And um, that I guess that's part of the problem for me because like 30% of the things I do don't work in the bindings. And that like, that's always very confusing when you do a shortcut and it doesn't do what you expect it to do. Oh, totally. I can I can feel that I would never ever use Vim, but <laughs> although I think I yeah I know, but like on, on that topic though, I think I learned to rebase while I was at Apple. Oh, um, and like I know a little bit of Vim to like go into like interactive mode, I think, and then mm-hmm. like you know change stuff around in like mm-hmm. the commits. So mm-hmm. you know I'm slowly building my way up where I know how to quit it. I know how to enter interactive mode, and now I also know how to rebase, which I guess isn't technically Vim, but practically it is. <laughs> well, you have to start somewhere. Exactly. Also on the topic of like Rust and Swift and things being different and not even going as far as the, the IDE, um, but I had a chat with uh, with Francis just now, and he he's working at Apple on Xcode Cloud. Uh, we've had some really, really good like chats over the last few months. And, you know, we were like, he was talking about like, I can imagine, you know, programming is relatively like new, right? Um, and I can imagine that many years down the line, 
and you know it was like i don't know how many years but many like there will be some kind of standard some kind of one way to do things um or at least we've learned not to make certain mistakes again and he was comparing it with like building a bridge right like at first we just built bridges like all the ways we could think of and some broke and some people died and whatever and now there's like a standard for things uh just like law for example and like i don't know we had a good conversation about it until like we had some connectivity issues <laughs> we were like i'm not really convinced but then i was like if i'm gonna be completely honest maybe i'm not convinced because i don't know what it's look what it would look like right mm-hmm. um but i found it an interesting like thought experiment um mm-hmm. although i think it will go more like i, I compared it to the housing market um which you know is a little depressing when you think about it but like it goes in waves right it goes up and down we had you know object-oriented programming we're now mostly doing functional programming i could imagine that at some point we go back to object-oriented programming and it hopefully will be better than it used to be with the learnings that we've taken from you know all of these years but i can't really see like one kind of standard because I think at the core of programming as well is like it's kind of an art, right? You can solve the same problem like a million different ways and all of them are technically like valid. Yeah, I think if I mean it's obviously right that this is something very new compared to a lot of other things that we have. Um and we will probably, I guess, there will be a coalition around a couple of things that we over years, over decades learn make the, uh, the, make the most sense, are the most useful. But at the same time, when I look at, uh, let's say, building cars or motors, um, we've been doing that for quite some time now. And still we are inventing new materials and different ways to assemble them because um, we come up with new ideas how to improve things and we've been doing that for a long time now similar in building houses like if you build a house now um, a lot of technology is involved to build houses that are much different than what we did 20 years ago 30 years ago or 100 years ago because we invent new ways of um, keeping as as much heat for example in the house as possible without using a radiator so there's uh, there's always new engineering and new invention coming in um, so I think this will be for a long time also be- because there's more complexity involved in what a programming language or let's say no, not a language a, a system a framework a- has to do like 30 years ago you just needed to be able to boot up on a on a very slow processor and s- s- display a small prompt and nowadays you need to be able to have syncing with cloud devices and with normal devices and all these security things that are required nowadays and you need encryption and uh, then maybe you need blockchain integration, God knows what. So there's always the, the, the complexity of what you are trying to do is going up as more and more things become software. And, and all this complexity needs to be, then to be part of the framework in a way to be because you don't want to rewrite all that from scratch, right? You don't want to take C and start developing everything in order to have a product. You need to, bu- to build on, the, on, on top of giants, which means that the, the language itself has to adapt in order for these additional things that we'll invent in the future to cope with it. So I think that will be for a long time we will, we will see um, new inventions there. 
Yeah, exactly. I think that was one of the things I mentioned as well, right? Like a bridge, like sure, it can be a completely new design and it can be longer than any bridge in the world. But once it's finished, it's it's there, right? Like sure, you can technically like fix things, but like mm. software is just so much more moldable, so much more flexible, so much arguably like, like potentially so much bigger, so much more complex. Yeah, what, what I'm going to give him, though, is if you compare with cooking, then over like that's something we've been doing for a really long time as a species, eating food and cooking. And um, it's still the case that we invent new things, like uh, the, you, you walk around and you find somebody came up with a pokeball and chocolate or something like that. I don't know. But at the same time, there's a majority of food, pizza, fries, burgers, that was invented decades ago and that most people are eating in a standardized way. So there are certain standards that people just use. And then there's a fringe community that comes up with new stuff. So there, there is a certain kind of standard and there's invention going on, but the, the, the invention and the new stuff doesn't really touch the majority of people. Yeah, but it's an interesting one. It was a, it was a good conversation. So I wanted to, uh, wanted to mention that. So yeah, I uh, while we're recording this, there is a, uh, I think one of the first in-person conferences going on again. Yeah, it in Leeds, right? Yeah, I had been thinking about buying a ticket for that, um, but then I felt like it's going to be too much for me. Um, not the conference itself, but given that this was the first week of working again and so on, and I didn't want to, you know, do do like after two months of doing nothing, suddenly have one week where I do everything. But I hope that uh, more conferences will come up. It's interesting, though. Like, you know, I once I quit Apple, I was like, I'm not going to do what I don't want to do. But, I mean, it was quite obvious that pretty quickly I was sucked back into writing blog posts, which I'm doing more than I did before, I think. Um, you know, I recorded my first talk, actually, like, you know, pre-recording. Um for a conference tomorrow for MobiConf uh, that I think you know a thing or two about as well, mm -hmm. as you've you've spoken there in the past. Yeah, um, it was the, the last one before COVID hit. Right. I'm going to be speaking at iOSConf as G, uh, the Singapore conference, which will be remote. Um, so yeah, <laughs> it seems like I'm, uh, I'm back in the game, back in business, mm -hmm. and I'm enjoying it. It's been great. Uh, I was super like I was like so excited to like pre-record a talk because I'd never done it and you know you know ranging from like oh maybe it'll be easier to like maybe it'll be a lot harder uh, and like I will try to you know change a lot of things while I'm like you know giving the presentation to myself basically but it was really great um you know, it was like a podcast episode to some extent where like, sure, you like cut some things out and like tighten some things up. Um, but it was a great experience that I I would probably do that again if I got, got the opportunity. Like, sure, if we're able to like go and meet in person again, which according to Swift Leads seems to be possible in certain parts of the world, mm -hmm. like I wouldn't, you know, <laughs> but otherwise, like it's it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm looking forward to going to conferences again. I hope there will be more in-person conferences. Like Leeds, I didn't do, but I, um, I'm looking forward to them. And I also wouldn't mind going there. I, we've, we've been on vacations um, where we were in rooms with a lot of people and other things like that. So I think I, I would be fine. Yeah. 
It's interesting, like, we, like, you know, uh, I think we mentioned this on the podcast in the past. Uh, I mean, I would be very surprised if we, if we haven't. Um, but I was co-organizing Swift Averro for 2020. Um, and I'd been very busy at the end of 2019 to, like, get the whole lineup of mentors. Um, and it's been so much fun. And I would, you know, in the end, we had the whole lineup and we started announcing people and then we opened the ticket sales and a bunch of tickets sold. And then it became too, <laughs> too clear that like it wasn't going to happen, but like would love to, you know, make that happen at some point. Um, it seems that we've decided not to do anything this year, um, but perhaps next year um, would be would be cool. And I think I would love to you know, get back to that and, and actually pull it, pull through. Basically. I think that would be, you know, it's been, it's been on the bucket list for a very long time. So. Yeah. I, I, I guess that, um, most of the, um, conferences will probably want to go back next year to that. At least that's my hope, but, but I'm, no. I'm curious to see if, all the conference are going to be back basically and what kind of new conference are popping up i guess swift leads being one of them i think it was supposed to happen last year for the first time and then it happened like basically like today uh for the first time um but i'm curious to see like what kind of shift there will be um and i hope 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 try swift will be back but i guess we'll have to we'll have to wait and see I was actually looking yeah. at some pictures from New York in 2018 yesterday and like, oh boy, like, I'm just like, oh, this was so nice. It was so good. Yeah. I would love to go to Tokyo again. Um, that was the one that uh, started, that came at the same time as COVID and they canceled it. And I had tickets on the, and hotels and everything. And I was like, it was, I think one week before the conference was when they canceled it or not even one week, I think a couple of days. Um, I was so close to going there a second time. And uh, if they ever do it again, I will absolutely go there. I remember the conversations when they started talking about COVID and you were very hesitant. And I was like, you know, what is this thing? Like, you know, and like looking back on that, it's just so weird. But yeah. Yeah. I think I think you were like on the, uh, so there's this Flickr like album or like collection of albums. Uh, I think you were like the, 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 on, on one of the pictures of Tokyo, like on that list of albums? Well, I tried to be in front of the camera all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I was following the camera guy. Yeah. So back at Xing, yep. that's cool. Fixing bugs, enjoying the new office. They have a really nice office. It's, uh, it's really, uh, really nice being there. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, you mentioned, you know, it's good to go back to the office and, and, and especially to, to like see people. Yeah. Um, you know, we have been able to slowly do more things um, and actually went to the Netherlands for a week. Um, you know, me seeing my family again for the first time since, you know, uh, I was I was brought to the plane to Spain. Uh, so that had been over a year. That was June 2020. So that's been super great. Uh, and I do feel more comfortable with things. So I I mean, I would love to come to Hamburg when I can, right? And 
not necessarily visit the office, I guess, but like having lunch with a bunch of people. Barcelona is high on that list, even though I only worked there for a month, lived there for a month, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Um, and it's just it's just exciting to like meet up with people again. Um, obviously, I, I, I'm looking forward to meeting some more people uh, of the new job. Uh, I've heard that there's a bunch of people that like golf as well. Um, so, you know, I'm looking forward to uh, meeting on the golf course. Obviously, meeting as in working very hard. Um, yeah, super, super excited to, to start the new job to do ios again which honestly it's been a little bit too long i guess (laughs) but i'm sure i'll i'll get back into it yeah you'll probably get back in no time like i had two months without uh, any swift development and i I do have to admit it it took me a little bit of time for something because i I just did rust right and the languages are similar and different and that is a little little bit of a problem because like for something that was like how do I do this again? Because it's uh, it's I, I knew how to do it, but was it the way you'd, I do it in Rust, or was it like this other kind of way? And I had a couple of, of issues like that, where or where Excelente wrote something that is certainly Rust code, like uh, FN instead of Funk. But it only took me like one or two hours to be fully back in Swift. Yeah, I mean, to, for me, it's a little different, I think, because I've basically been writing well a combination of a, well, I've been writing Objective C. Uh, and also like system level, not even macOS, like mostly like system level stuff. So I think I'm like a step further away. Um, but I, that's one of the things that makes me even more excited to to come back, learn about all the new things, you know, async await, uh, combine to some extent, uh, Swift UI. I mean, I wrote, you know, I co-wrote this uh, this design system that I've heard good things about still. Uh, but the people still working on it. Uh, so I'm super happy that that was, you know, the last project really that I that I got to work on Xing. Um, and I learned a ton. Uh, I'm also pretty sure that a ton has changed in SwiftUI since then. Uh, but yeah, I, I can't wait to come back and to be back and to write some blog posts and uh, give some talks. Yeah, and we can have an episode about this. Your impressions as a uh, Objective C app kit developer, what do you think about Swift UI? Well, like I said, it's not even like app. Well, some of it was app kit, but like it's all just like a level below, you know, in the land of private API that is not necessarily always beautifully documented. C and carbon. Well, not even. I, I, well, maybe I didn't see that, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Well, looking forward to hear what uh, you will uh, tell us uh, when you are back in the job and uh, making a living. Uh, I will also be able to talk about these uh, Matroshka side projects that I ended up doing that I'm actually a little bit excited about. They're completely useless in a way, um, but, but they are fun. And that's, that's what, what this is about, right? So hopefully in the next episode, uh, I'll be far enough in these projects to talk about them. That sounds good. For, for the listener that does want to do a little bit of uh, um, exploration, I think I saw something on GitHub, didn't I? Yes, you might have seen something on GitHub. Yeah, we can also briefly touch that if you want, but because you can give me your best guess at, at what I might be doing. 
basically. Um, I don't even remember what it was. So we'll leave this as an exercise ex- exercise to the listener, and then we can we can talk about it next time. Yeah. So the 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 thing you saw on GitHub was that um, I released my first two Rust crates, and in Rust parlance, a crate is like a library or a framework. So it's like uh, like something you can uh, a dependency you can add to your code, a package. And I've released uh, my first two open source ones. One very simple one. Oh, actually, I can I can talk about that briefly before we close the episode because it's insane, and that is. Um, when you look into emails, into the, the time field, like the, the time it was sent, um, then this is formatted to a RFC. So it's uh, um, you have an a RFC that defines how this field should be formatted. And it's pretty strict in how you format it, except for the time zone. And so the time zone is, um, depending on which mail library you use, there's a variety of ways uh, how this is formatted. And one thing I saw quite a lot was um, the time zone abbreviation, um, let's say UDT or uh, GMT or PST. And the time library I was using in Rust couldn't um, convert this time zone, like when it, when I tell it GMT, into the proper time zone offset, where I would know it's basically UTC plus 8. And I was wondering why it wouldn't do that. That, that looked like an oversight to me. And so I checked it, and as it turns out, there is no standard for this. Like, people use these everywhere, but it's not standardized, and multiple countries use the same abbreviation for their time zone for completely different offsets, and it's all a mess. And um, when you have a, a time string with this information, you basically have no idea what time zone it is because you, there's no standard to parse this. And basically what I what this crate does is because I needed that, um, I'm just taking the, the best known abbreviations and converting them to the proper time zone information. Um, but that is obviously on a failure basis because sometimes you might have the wrong one, especially if multiple different time zones have the same abbreviation, but it's better than nothing. That was my idea. But it's insane that this is being used in a lot of emails, even though there's no standard and there's, you lose information when you send it like that, crazy. I was going to say, if you need a QA, might I suggest looking in the direction of a certain Dave DeLong? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it, I'm happy with the, the result I have now. It's, uh, it, it's parsing. Uh, my, my biggest problem was the time strings were not parsing to proper dates. That's right. what I know. I mean, you picked a, a good problem with dates, I guess. Yeah, yeah. The, the, I mean, there's more, there are more problems with dates, right? But here I found it interesting that so many libraries use a time zone abbreviation that is not standardized, that's not actually part of any kind of date and it just happened to happen. I don't know. Well, the rest of the reader can can look at the, the other uh, things I released and see what this is about. Sounds good. Pino, it was nice uh, talking to you again. I think the last time we spoke was, was the previous episode, actually, which has been a while. Yeah, so, yeah uh, I, was, uh, I, I tried to be boring. <laughs> it's good to it's good to chat and uh yeah talk to you next time talk to you next time it was a great conversation see you right. bye bye